Welcome back to the Cheap Pea Productions podcast. Okay, welcome back to the show. And today on the show, I've got a great guest. Is a man. He's an independent horror filmmaker from America, Mike Lombardo. How are you doing today, man? I am doing fantastic. Happy to be here. Happy to have you on, man. So, listen for people that might know you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I am an independent filmmaker. I'm based in Pennsylvania, which is a Romero country. Um, I've been doing splatter comedy. My company's Real Splatter Productions for about. 14 or 15 years now. Uh, we just made our first feature-length film, I'm Dreaming of a White Doomsday, about three years ago. And, uh, you know, starting to jump into some new projects, uh, finally, after all that time. Yeah. And how did you become involved? Did you study film, or how did you become involved in it? Um, I was a video store kid. So uh, growing up in the early 90s, I pretty much lived at uh, the video store picking up all the weirdo uh, VHS boxes and stuff and fantasizing about what they're going to be. So um, that was pretty much my life. Uh, I always wanted to be a horror movie maker. All my old reports from elementary school, I would write that in my reports, much to the teacher's delight. And then I pretty much taught myself how to do special effects and uh, you know, got a VHS camcorder and started shooting uh, movies of the neighborhood kids and you know, flash forward many, many years and here we are. Yeah. What kind of movies, horror movies, did you like back in the day? Ooh, stuff like uh, Street Trash, uh, Chud is another one of my favorites. I was obsessed with all the George Romero zombie flicks, um, Evil Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was really big into Troma, uh, Toxic Avenger, all that kind of stuff. Peter Jackson's old stuff like Bad Taste, Dead Alive. Pretty much the more weird and violent, the better. Not that yeah. things have really changed all that much in my personal tastes, but, uh, you know. Did you, did you like those kind of... Um... I suppose a lot of people would see them as cheesy, the likes of Friday the 13th and Child's Play and Halloween and things like that. Um, I did. I haven't really been, like, Friday the 13th, is, it's, you know, my love of that has waned a lot over the years. Like, if I, if I wouldn't have seen it as a kid, I don't think I'd particularly care for it now. I'm not really into slasher movies all that much, but um, the Child's Play movies I actually do really love because they actually evolved with the times, and I think that they've become, like, a weird sort of, like, meta commentary on stuff because I love that Don Marcini has written all of them. And I actually, I really, really respect that, that he stuck with it. Um, but not big on the franchises too much. Hellraiser is the one exception though. I am obsessed with Hellraiser. Not that yeah. that's a slasher flick, but you know. And Child's Play is actually coming out on sci-fi, I think next month in the States as a TV series, which will be interesting. Yeah, you know, it's weird because I guess they did, the remake was unrelated and then uh, mm -hmm. Don got his his rights, went that way, the studio went that way, so I'm curious to see exactly what happens with all of that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. So your journey into the business then, you basically just 
you've been independent, like you've done it from a kid straight away up until where you are now. Is that fair to say? Uh, yep, 100%. Uh, Self-taught, which people would say is painfully evident. Um, made our first feature, hit the fest circuit, you know, scored some awards in a distro deal, and now we're just looking to, uh, you know, do something bigger. Mm -hmm. And can we talk about some of the short movies you have on YouTube? Uh, sure. Um, yeah. They are, <laughs> it's real weird. Um, I tell people that was more of like the trauma era of my life. Um, the one that was really popular, The Stall, is a Lovecraft film that's about a guy trapped in a public bathroom during the Lovecraftian apocalypse. That was uh, good fun. Um, we did one called Long Pig about friends and cannibalism. Um, started to get real weird with like my friend Lawrence. That's kind of like a David Lynch uh, sort of deal. And then, um, you know, there's just a lot of grotesque comedy and stuff on there. If you like cheesy, like bloody stuff, it's definitely probably up your alley. And then the feature we did, White Doomsday, is definitely a lot more serious. That's like real dark and more of a drama, which is the direction that I'm kind of going in now, um, more or less. Talk to me about um, Womb for Two. I was watching it earlier. <laughs> so, so actually, Womb for Two, we're actually doing an animated series out of that right now. Womb for Two is probably, uh, when I die, that'll be my damn epitaph. Uh, that is something that I can never escape from. It was a uh, sitcom that we did about a 16-year-old um, fetus that lives inside of his mom's womb. And uh, it was probably the most fun I've ever had making a movie because, I mean, not that it sounds particularly logical, uh, the plot, basically it let us do anything that I wanted. So no matter how weird the joke was, it fit because it's like, you know, it's a fucking 16-year-old living inside of his mom. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we do anything we want. Yeah. So having that yeah. kind of freedom was a blast. And... Uh, Literally not a single film festival or convention goes by where somebody doesn't come up to the table and mention Womb for Two. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, yeah, remember, like yeah. over a decade ago and people are still talking about it. So we're doing the animated series and we're going to pitch that to Adult Swim and see if we can't get a little like uh, your pretty face is going to hell sort of deal out of it or something. Talk to me about Talk the work that we're going to um, well, all I'm doing is writing it and doing a couple of the voices. My buddy, uh, Scott Shaw, who, um, has a band Testosteroso, he's, uh, also the star of The Stall. He does our visual effects, too. He's a super talented guy, and he's, uh, an animator, so he's gonna be handling the bulk of that workload, but it's, uh, it's a really different experience for me because I'm so used to, you know, you write a script and you get your actors and you rehearse, you build props and all that, but really 90% of this is done on the computer. So he is, you know, he draws all the background plates and he's just sending me character designs and stuff. And then we would record the entire episode worth of voices at one time. And then he animates to the voices. So it's really bizarre for me because I'm not really directing performances per se. It's kind of the opposite. You base the actual actions on the dialogue that you have recorded. So it's kind of weird for me, but it's an interesting process. It's a lot of yeah. fun. And again, yeah. we can do whatever the hell we want. So the first episode is about the young Billy and his friend have a slumber party and they rent some scary movies and uh, Billy thinks that his the womb is haunted because he hears uh, some ghostly moans coming from, from things at night, which uh, may may have something to do with his parents. Um, and I'm not going to say too much more, but it is very raunchy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of being an independent filmmaker on the internet these days, when you're looking for people to do stuff, it must be a blessing because like say compared to 20 years ago like what you can do now if you wanted to make a film tomorrow you could probably get extras and people no problem yeah it's it's insane um 
back when I started, YouTube didn't exist, um, and the internet was still in its infancy. So it's insane the difference that that has made. Like people, you know, I think they take it for granted. Like YouTube, like the ability to just look up any short film or video or anything they want and just finding it instantly. Back in the the early days of the internet, that did not exist. Video when the internet didn't exist, it was we had fifty six k. So. Yeah. When we did our original short films, we actually uploaded them to our .com and hosted the video files ourselves. We used to edit with Windows Movie Maker um, before we had access to Adobe Premiere 2.0 to uh, put things in a, on a timeline. Um, so the first time that someone from Russia emailed me and said that he watched my short films, I think my head exploded like scanner style. And I was like, someone in another country watched this? I wasted someone's time across the globe. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so it's been crazy. Now you got to in the early days, um, the early days in MySpace, especially they started MySpace Film and message boards. I met tons of other indie filmmakers, and unfortunately, most of them don't do things anymore. But there's still a handful of them that are still active, and it's it's just wild to see the progression. I mean, I started on a VHS camcorder. You can film a feature film quality movie with your fucking cell phone now. Yeah, like that's yeah. crazy. You know, I didn't, you know, we didn't have cell phones back when we started this. Like, it's so, it's so different. It's, it's wild. I always say, what a time to be alive. I recorded the first 50 episodes of this podcast on my fucking iPhone. And I had, uh, I had Bird from Judge Judy on my show, right? And then I was like, if this guy knew I was recording a podcast on my phone, <laughs> he would not be fucking here. You know? Yeah, it's, it's crazy, the accessibility. I mean, there are movies that went to Sundance that were shot on an iPhone. Like, it's, it's nuts, you know? It used to, you know... Like, I, it's funny, because I said I'm a filmmaker. I've never touched a piece of film in my life. It's all digital, but, you know, we don't even need we don't even need little tapes anymore. DV is gone. Now it's all on a hard drive. Like, I remember when that first started, I was like, yeah, hard drive cameras, that'll be the day. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's insanity. Yeah. Talk to me about I'm Dreaming of a White Doomsday and about your kind of love for putting Christmas elements into horror. Uh, so I've had a weird obsession with Christmas horror since I was a kid. Um, mm -hmm. Love like Silent Night, Deadly Night, Christmas Evil, all that stuff's like my some of my favorite movies. Um, so White Doomsday, we we decided it was a short story I had written that was published back in 2012, and I had actually written it. Um, my mom was put into the hospital with uh, stage four kidney failure, so she came very close to dying. Fortunately, she did not. But during the time that she was in the hospital for that that like year, um. To deal with it, I kind of wrote this story about watching someone you care about fading away and not being, excuse me, able to help them. And it kind of morphed into a story about a mom and her seven-year-old um, living out their final days in a bomb shelter after the end of the world. And uh, what the mom will do to kind of shield her son from the reality of the world. And she decides to give him one last Christmas. So I wrote this short story. It was really, really personal. It got published. And like I'll, I'll never forget the first review it was in a book called A Strange House Christmas, an anthology. All the reviews for this book, everyone's like, oh, this is so fun. There's tons of like goofy like horror comedy stories. And then the last the last uh, uh, bit of every review would be my story was last. And they said, I wanted to slit my fucking wrists after I read this. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I remember I read it to my roommates on Christmas morning after I had written it, and they were just sobbing. So I was like, oh, wow, I guess something. So for the years, people were like, you got to make this into a movie. And I'm like, yeah, how the hell am I going to make an apocalyptic Christmas movie? You know, I, I work at a pizza shop. Like, there's no way. So I started breaking it down one day. And I was like, you know what? We can actually probably do a short out of this. And we started making the short film. 
And, you know, after working in independent film for a decade, I've amassed a phone book worth of favors from other people doing yeah. special effects and stuff. So I pulled in every single resource I could conceivably grab. And for $10,000, we, we ended up making, we accidentally made a feature length film. Um, but it was, a, it was a super grueling experience. It took three years to make. We shot on weekends, um, just kind of filmed anywhere we could get access to an abandoned location. Um, just absolute hell to make this movie. Like, I can't stress enough how awful it was. We actually did a feature-length documentary called um, Armageddon from the Cheap Seats that's on the uh, Blu-ray and the DVD that's day-by-day day building all the props and, like, what it takes to make... I don't even want to say a low-budget movie because that's not even accurate. It was no budget. And yeah. it's just insanity. Like, I look back on that now, and I'm like, how did I even survive doing that? Um, but the movie, you know, we finished the movie. Um, it world premiered at Nightmares Film Festival in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, coming from a horror comedy background, my experience at festivals is always, if the audience is laughing, we're gold. The movie starts dead silence. Packed house, dead silence. No one has seen the movie except for the, the immediate crew. So I'm sinking lower and lower in my seat the whole time, like trying to figure out where the closest exit is so I can run away before I get humiliated publicly. And uh, the movie ends, and then uh, silence. At film festivals, everybody claps. No matter how bad the movie is, people are clapping. Yeah. I hear. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, the slow clap. Is this real? And then it stopped. <laughs> and then <laughs> the lights came up, and I was like, oh, man. I really fucked this up, and uh, they called me up front to do the Q&A, so I do the walk of shame, go up to the front of this theater, look out, there's like 200 people there, and I look up, and everyone's crying, and wow. I just deflated, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe it, and then it's like, I ended up doing an hour-long Q&A, and everybody's crying, and then every festival screening we did after that, we would just have people coming up and just sobbing and hugging me and talking about people they lost and how they understood, because the whole movie was essentially about grief. And uh, I, had not, I had no idea it was going to hit people at such a personal level. I mean, I knew it went into it on my end, and it was a really personal story. But, you know, people were real raw about it. Or they were insanely pissed off. Like, people either love it or they hate it, which, you know, you can't ask for anything more than that. So, But it's done, it's done good for me. Uh, Scream Team releasing ended up putting it out. We played all over the world, got a, a nice shelf full of awards. And, you know, not, not bad for a $10,000 movie. Definitely something to be proud of anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your production company, Real Splatter Productions. Yes. Uh, what do, what does that entail for you? Is it is it full time? Is it part time? What way are you doing it? Um, it is part time. I do it on the side. Um, because the the biggest everyone always asks me what advice I would give to someone who's trying to get into filmmaking, and my number one piece of advice is get a real job. Mm -hmm. Um, so I work. I'm a, a manager at a Target. So. That pays my bills. At the time when I was doing White Doomsday, I was a manager at a pizza shop. That pays my bills, and then I do film stuff on the side because it doesn't matter, you know, if you think you're the next camcorder Coppola, there is no money in independent film. And that's fine because you don't do it because you want to make money. You do it because you love filmmaking. Um, but I do it on the side. It takes up most of my free time. I write, I direct, I edit, I do special effects. I mean, I work for other people, too. I do commission gigs. And stuff like that. Not so much lately, but um, I'm trying to get back into doing at least special effects stuff for people. Because it's always a lot of fun getting bloody, running around. Yeah, I actually yeah, studied, yeah. I studied film in college, and here I am. I'm working in a grocery store. I, you know, but that's the thing is everyone... I'm a real firm believer in success being a completely personal measure. You know, mm -hmm. you, 
when I, I see people that I went to school with and when I used to work at the pizza shop and they'd come in and they're like, oh man, architecture school's real rough. And I'm like, boy, that must suck. Here's your cheesesteak. And they're like, you know, I, the one guy said to me, he's like, oh, I envy you because you're doing what you want to do. You know, you followed your dream. And I'm like, I make jack shit money and I make fat rednecks pizza all day. And like, yeah, but you get to do all the stuff you want to do. I'm stuck in school, you know, 100K in debt. And I'm like, well, you know, you'll probably make that back in a year, but whatever. But, you know, success is a personal measure. You know, if you are able to do what you want to do, I mean, you've got a podcast. Like, that's fucking awesome. That's 99% of the world will never have something that they've created that they can do, some kind of passion. And whatever you need to do to keep the lights on, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's something that more independent artists need to uh, think about because everyone is like, oh, I got to make it big. I got to make it big. But there, what, what is making it big? You know, what does that even do? Like, best case scenario, you might be able to get, you know, a studio involved or something, and you're going to get screwed. I mean, if you watch any documentaries or watch any commentary tracks, any good filmmaker will tell you how horrible the experience of making a professional film is. So work in a grocery store, work in a pizza shop, work at a retail store, and then have full creative control and do whatever the hell you want. You do it because you love it, not because you're going to get rich off of it. And if you do get rich off of it, that's great. I'll give you my number after the show and you can <laughs> keep in keep in touch. Yeah. I find like um every podcast I do kind of opens another door. Yeah, of course. You know, you end up and that's the best part about it. Like all the film festivals and all the stuff, you get to meet like minded creatives and other people. And like there is nothing more satisfying than trading war stories with people. Because you realize too, the more professional filmmakers and stuff that I get to meet and actors, their problems are the exact same things that we're having. It's just they have more money to try to solve them. Mm -hmm. And it's, but, you know, making a movie, making a podcast, writing a book, it doesn't matter where you are in your career. It's just as difficult. And I think that's another thing for people to keep in mind. You know, Steven Spielberg didn't just wake up and he's like, I'm going to write this Academy Award winning script. The guy probably wrote a thousand dud scripts and did all sorts of shitty short films with his friends before he made Jaws and Duel and all that stuff. And that's cool, too. There's nothing wrong with that. And then you get guys like Peter Jackson who did, you know, Dead Alive and Bad Taste and all these like cheesy B movies with his friends. And then he used his clout that he eventually got and he did Lord of the Rings and King Kong. Those are the projects he wanted to do when he was a kid. Sam Raimi made Evil Dead and eventually he got to do Spider-Man because that was his dream since he was a kid. And I love, this is the kind of filmmakers I love where they made it big, but they didn't sell out. They're like, this is what I want to do. And they just use that to follow the dream they had since they were a kid. And I respect the hell out of that. Even if I don't particularly care for those movies, I love that they got to do it. Yeah. So there's a big event coming up in London. Do you want to tell me about it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think uh, they're putting a new member of parliament, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or, oh, are you talking about the film festival? Yeah. Oh, Fright Fest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was a documentary called The Brilliant Terror um, that is uh, starring me. Um, somehow I, I shanghaied myself into uh, a documentary about independent filmmaking, uh, horror filmmaking specifically. I was uh, supposed to be a random subject, like a random interview. They were, they were pretty much finished with it. They contacted me for a local interview, and I did my interview, and I'm like, wow, I fucked that up. I'm an idiot. Two days later, they call me back and they're like, hey, can you uh, do a second interview? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they probably want to get something usable. So, But they asked me different questions. And I was like, oh, that's odd. And then a week later, they took me out to lunch. And they're like, so what projects do you have going on? Which I, of course, had nothing going on. But I lied through my teeth. I'm like, oh, I've got so many projects, like tons of projects. Why do you ask? And they're like, oh, we'd like to film you on set. So I just kind of wrangled a short film. I'm like, yeah, let's uh, do this stall movie. 
So they filmed me on that. Flash forward 10 years, they ended up following me, and then I became the main subject of this documentary, um, which just got finished a month ago and uh, was selected for Fright Fest um, Film Festival in London. It's one of the most prestigious horror film festivals there is, which is really crazy. Unfortunately, I will not be attending, but uh, uh, Passport Office be damned. But uh, that's on Thursday, I believe. It is uh, playing, I think, 7 o'clock. Uh, which is really wild because Neil Blomkamp's new movie, uh, I think Possession, is coming, or uh, I think it's called The Possessed. I can't remember, but uh, Neil Blomkamp's fucking premiering, world premiering his movie at the same time. Like, that's insane. Wow. To even be mentioned in the same sentence as Neil Blomkamp, it's not, Mike Lombardo sucks. Neil Blomkamp doesn't. Like, that's about as far as I ever thought that would be, but we're actually, like, premiering at Fright Fest, which is insane to me. So that's really, really exciting. Do you think you'd be able to do something like this, a Zoom kind of thing? or? I'm hoping. We just recorded a video intro um, for it the other day. The uh, actual Julie and Paul Hunt, the directors, are actually going to be there. I just didn't get my passport in time. Um, but I'm hoping to do like a Skype Q&A. And then we have a couple of the festivals lined up that I will be able to attend, presumably if my passport comes. But I'm not allowed to talk about any of those just yet. But there's going to be some fun stuff uh, in the future. Oh, well, we'll have to oh, get we'll you back on then. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, yeah. man, it was an absolute pleasure to catch yeah. up with you today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Best of yeah. luck with everything. Excellent. And to you as well, sir. Cheers, man. Thank you.